In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Matt Galloway, and this is The Current Podcast. Is life feeling a little dull these days? Do you feel like you need to change things up? I have got something for you. NASA is putting out a call for volunteers. It is an unusual call. The organization is looking for people to spend a year on a mission to Mars. It's not a real mission to Mars. It is a simulation in a 3D-printed habitat. Suzanne Bell is NASA's lead for its Behavioral Health and Performance Laboratory at the Johnson Space Center. She is in Houston, Texas. Suzanne, good morning. Good morning to you, Matt. This is an unusual call for volunteers, a really unique opportunity. Um, let me ask you first about, about where these volunteers would be going. Tell me about this 3D-printed habitat. Well, we have a 1,700-square-foot Mars habitat simulation that we are going to put four people through for 378 days. And what we're really trying to replicate is what we expect life to be like on Mars. Um, and so we're looking for volunteers who would be interested in, in contributing to science in this really important way. What would life be like for, for these people in this 1,700-square-foot space? Well, what we're trying to mimic are the restricted conditions we expect for Mars. So examples would be um, food that would be able to be pre-positioned on Mars, uh, specialized exercise routines and equipment like we might have astronauts do. Uh, four people will have to live and work together doing anything from maintenance tasks to extravehicular activities to explore the red planet. And so they'll be doing a variety of um, both simple things that aren't so simple when you're in long-term isolation and confinement, which is living together, to doing really complicated feats like operating robotics and extravehicular activities. And so you go in, you're sealed in there, and you don't come back out for 300 and some days. That's right, yes. What do you think, aside from being separated from the rest of the world and the people who are on that world, what do you think the biggest challenge would be that these people would face? Well, the... All of the conditions together really make it challenging. As you just mentioned, being separated from Earth is quite a challenge. What's an extra challenge for what we would expect on a Mars um, habitat uh, yeah, Mars service mission is that there will also be a significant communication delay with Earth. And we do replicate that in our experiment. So in other words, if you um, need help from mission control, you'll send a message. They'll get it sometime later, up to 22 minutes later, and then respond. And you'll get that response 22 minutes. So this crew really will work with unprecedented levels of autonomy. And there'll also be that communication delay back to family and friends too, uh, which can be quite a sacrifice for the, 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 the participants. Let's talk about who you're looking for. There's that whole idea. I mean, it goes back to NASA in many ways, the right stuff. Um, the, the, the call for, for volunteers says applicants should have a strong desire for unique, rewarding adventures and interest in contributing to NASA's work to prepare for the human journey to Mars. What are you looking for? What would, what would capture the right stuff for you? 
Well, we can get better data that helps us inform future Mars missions, the more realistic it is that that they would be candidates who would actually go. And so we want these um, people to be as astronaut-like as possible. We're looking for advanced STEM degrees or um, pilots. We're looking for those who are healthy, 30 to 55 years of age. Um, we're looking in this case for English speakers that are U.S. citizens and also um, or um, permanent residents. And we're also looking for the types of characteristics that, that you might think would allow someone to survive and thrive in this kind of circumstance, being adaptable, being a good team player, similar to what we would expect for astronauts. Some of those things, I think, would be applicable to any job, uh, being a good team player, for example. This That's is right. This is not just any job, though. So there are things that are on the resume that might work out. But what are the other, the softer skills that you would need to be stuck with with other people in close confines for, for a number of days without real contact with the outside world? Well, if you really think about it, there's a, a really the ability to do what most of us do, but in an extreme environment. So, you know, in a typical job, we need to be good team players, but at the end of the day, we can we can go home and uh, whether vent or find something else to do to, to distract us from perhaps a, a tough work day. In this case, we're asking people to both live and work together. So you've got to have that ability to adapt and be flexible and self-regulate so that you can both live and work together with, as um, roommates. And uh, other things like, you know, we get to eat all the food that we want normally on a typical day, um, or the different types of foods. And when you're talking about, again, being in a restricted environment, that idea of being able to be flexible and adaptive to, to what is actually provided in a, in a Mars-restricted environment like this. We are doing our best to make sure that we're choosing people who are likely to thrive in this environment so we can get really good at data, um, you know, looking at human health and performance holistically and understand that, you know, someone who is, you know, well qualified and likely to excel in this environment, where are the sticking points? Where are the challenges? And importantly, what supports interventions or what we call countermeasures at NASA can we develop and provide to help people push the limits of human space flight? I guess you would, you would learn from, from things if, if things went sideways a little bit. You would actually be able to learn to, to better prepare for the next time. We learn every day. So we currently have our first um, crew of four in isolation and confinement. They've just passed their 242nd day today in isolation. And so we learn every week, not only um, from the crew, but also just uh, how to navigate an experiment like this and, and be able to learn from it. And so it has just been incredibly rich, um, the data we're getting and to understand the dynamics. And this is exactly how we'll be able to prepare for Mars someday. I'll let you go, but let me just ask you two quick things finally. One is how far away do you think we are from that real mission to Mars? Well, you know, the way I think about it is it's very complicated to send technology to Mars now, but we do do it, right? So really the sticking point in a lot of ways is the human aspect. So we will get technology there that will give us the capability to send humans to Mars, but can we do that safely and return them home? And so the type of research we're doing right now is really going to help us understand that. Where can we push and what supports do we need in place? We are creating and researching and developing these supports um, daily. And so I think that we're, we're well on our way. And I think experiments like Chapia will really help us understand, you know, is that 10 year timeline, 15 year timeline uh, reasonable? And I actually think it is. So, you know, we will stay the course and continue to learn and 
help our uh, species become, you know, multi-planetary. Can you ever imagine yourself volunteering for something like this? Knowing what you know, could you imagine going into a simulation like this? I am so passionate about the research that I get to do. What The type of research we do is very complicated. Um, it is definitely complicated for the participants, but it's also uh, really intellectually demanding um, from the researcher side of things. You know, how do we even mimic Mars? How do we, you know, set the conditions in place? How do we collect data unobtrusively and through self-measures and other ways to tell the story? How do we make uh, judgments from small sample research since we take a long time to one run one crew through. I love the challenge of that. And so I'm happy to play my role, which is to do the research that will help us get us some there, there someday, even if I'm not a participant or the one to land on Mars. It really uh, blesses me to do this every day. It is such an interesting idea, and I'm sure you're going to be flooded with applications. Um, you'll just have to pick the right people. Suzanne, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Suzanne Bell is NASA's lead for its Behavioral Health and Performance Laboratory at the Johnson Space Center. She was in Houston, Texas. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Why would somebody do this, go into this habitat for a year? Our next two guests did just that. They spent time at another Mars-like habitat on Earth, the Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation, also known as High Seas, is located on an island volcano, a perfect location because of its space-like geology. Laura Lark is a software engineer, PhD candidate in planetary science. She spent eight months at the habitat in Hawaii in 2017. And Dr. Shana Gifford is a medical doctor. She was there for a year starting in 2015. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Matt. Shana, why did you want to be part of this, part of a Mars simulation? Well, I've always been fascinated by Mars ever since I was a child and the Viking photos came back. And uh, it looks sort of like California, uh, the the desert outside of Southern California. And I asked my father, uh, can we go there? And he said, sure, why not? So I always assumed that we would at some point. But mostly, I just want to help. I want to help humanity succeed on Mars, on the moon, in space, and on Earth. And I saw an opportunity to help. Laura, what about for you? Why did you want to do this? Well, for me, it sounded like an enormous adventure. It sounded like an experience that would be challenging emotionally, intellectually, physically, and that sounded like a blast. What was the mix like of the people who who were with you? Dr. Kiffer, I'll ask you first. I mean, when you get into this, you need to have, as we said, the right mix of people. Um, Who was with you? So we had um, our crew commander, who is an excellent sort of geologist, glaciologist. We had a uh, chief scientific officer, a geophysicist. We had a um, wonderful astrobiologist. We had a, a, a brilliant um, space architect. And we had our um, engineer, our flight engineer, who now works at NASA. Was it the right mix, do you think? In terms of, per- not just in terms of skill sets, but also personalities? 
I think it was an interesting dynamic mix of highly reliable, strong, intelligent people. I, you know, Matt, I don't think there is a right mix. Mm. I think there are infinite right mixes of leadership and followership, of strength and vulnerability, of communication skills that exist and willingness to grow. So I think, I think it's less a matter of locating the exact right people before the mission starts and creating the right circumstances for the right team to emerge. Just describe for people, we heard a little bit of, of, of what this 3D simulated uh, environment that, that Suzanne was talking about earlier is going to look like. But Laura, from your perspective, what did the habitat look like where you were living for eight months? Our habitat was, um, I think it's, it's what a lot of people imagine when they think of a Mars hab, which is a white dome. And it had two floors inside, uh, one main area where... We did everything from work to work out to play to eat, and then a floor upstairs with a small bedroom for each crew member, uh, and then a storage unit attached. How small did it feel? You know, it didn't feel that small. Maybe Shana will disagree. You know, with that one big room, it was pretty spacious, and we reconfigured it often, so it, it was easy to make it feel fresh. So I think we, we kept the cabin fever at bay pretty well. Shana, did, did, were you able to keep the cabin fever at bay, as, as Laura was saying? Yeah, I think Laura had it right on. And in addition to, to feeling huge, this, this, this double-layer dome was you know 1,200 square feet. Mm. And even though some of that wasn't usable space, a lot of that was just the dome and maybe storage, it felt incredibly spacious. But more to the point, we were able to suit up and EVA or do extravehicular activities. We were able to leave after decompressing in the airlock, simulated decompressing. And we could walk through the terrain and the vast, stark beauty of the region was just breathtaking and really inspiring. So no, I, I didn't experience cabin fever. I don't know that any of us did. What was the hardest part for you, Laura? Resource limited is really interesting. I'll ask you about the personal stuff in, in a moment, but what is it like being in an environment where your resources, things like water, for example, would be really, really limited? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely challenging, you know, to have, we each got eight minutes worth of shower time per week. Uh, and so you can imagine that keeping yourself clean after perhaps a many-hour EVA in uh, the same suit that you've been wearing since the start of the mission or a couple hours of exercise, um, you know, with these things happening every day, it's hard to keep clean with just that amount of water. And so that sort of thing is, it's a challenge. It's a new set of skills that we needed to learn. But for me, that was a lot of the fun. Mm. What about personally, being separated from friends, from family, what have you? How difficult was that? It was It was definitely a major part of the challenge. And I think that's where the 20-minute each-way communication delay really comes in. Because it, it that, that long of a delay completely precludes any kind of synchronous communication. You know, if, if I send a hello... Um, to somebody back home by the time they see it and actually respond. And by the time their response gets back to me, I'm already an hour into something else. So there's, there's really not any kind of, um, any kind of real time interaction with anybody back home. And that's a very separating factor. It's a really important part of the isolation of the conditions um, that astronauts going to Mars would have to deal with. Um, so, yeah, that was certainly challenging. I and mean, for me, 
Um, I'd actually just gotten married before the mission started. Um, and so a major challenge for me was, you know, leaving behind not just my friends and family, but also my new husband. Hmm. What about for you, Shana? What was it? What was the most challenging thing for you being part of this for a year? My inability to help those I left behind. You know, I I felt uh, also separated from my partners. Laura did. I'd, I'd been married not as short as a while, but but only about a year. But you know, shout out to the people of Earth. Y'all showed up for me. <laughs> the people partner, of Earth. <laughs> <laughs> shout out! To, shout out to people of Earth. My partner, my incredible partner Ben, my friends, my family. Never a day went by when when I wasn't getting messages, videos, and then my grandmother got sick, and mm. it was clear she was going to pass, and I wasn't going to be there for that. So the sense of almost uh, disempowerment in terms of your ability to affect what happens to, on Earth to me was the most challenging. What was it like when 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 you were able to step out of that habitat after a year? It was overwhelming. First of all, where did all these people come from? <laughs> what are they doing uh, on our volcano? Like they, there were so many people, mm. and and the smell. Like I, there was nothing to smell but the dome for a long time, and suddenly there was sea air and um, and 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 tr- and and plants and trees and food. They brought you know pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and and they <laughs> they brought fresh fruit and and there were sights and sounds and smells and just so many people it was um kind of a, a sensory um smorgasbord and a bit overwhelming but mostly i just saw my family they were waiting for me right there as i stepped out of the dome and that was really something laura it must have been the same kind of thing i mean i would f- imagine it would be really overwhelming well you know that's what i expected and that wasn't what I experienced at all. Huh. I walked out and I felt the wind on my face and I tasted the fresh fruit and it was, you know, it was just like, yep, that's what I remembered. It's exactly how it used to be. And for me, it was it was this really strange switch where instantly the whole time that I'd been in the hab suddenly felt like like the strange thing, the surreal thing. And being out in the world felt perfectly normal. And I remember the one really odd thing about the experience was that suddenly I didn't know where the rest of the crew was at all times. You know, we'd been living in 1,200 square feet for eight months. And so we we just all always had that sense of, oh, you know, Jay and Ansley are out on EVA, Brian's in his room, Sam and Earl are working out. Like We always know exactly where everybody is at all times. And then suddenly... We're all free. We can go anywhere. There are other people in our hab, and I don't know where everybody is. And that I'd remember that actually being the strangest part of the experience. Mm. Before I let you go, just I mean, having done this, and there's now these other uh, simulations that are underway, and, and they're looking for volunteers for the next one. I mean, do you think we're ready for for the real thing? Are are we learning the right things so that we will be we will be prepared? when that real mission to Mars takes place, Shana? Um, I think everyone who can hear this should understand that while there are many resources we need to live and thrive and be well, food and uh, shelter and water that's potable and the right mix of gases at the right pressure to breathe, the, the resource we do need but tend to forget that we need is other people. And that's a resource that is indispensable. And I hope if COVID taught us anything, it's that the real value of being alive is making human connections, having the interactions we have with each other. And, you know, Matt, the worst day, my least favorite day on Mars was the day when I ended up alone in the dome. 
And I was so happy to see my crew again when they came back after their after their experience outside the dome. And anyone hearing this, I want you to know that even if you feel like the only Martian on the planet, you're not. Mm. I promise. Laura, if you were offered the, the, the trip to Mars, having gone through the simulation, is this something you would take? I think that's a that's a hard question. My my life is very different now than it was at the time and um I I think that when I had just come out of the hab it would have been an easy yes and you know my my life has increased in richness in in many ways um and it would be it would certainly be appealing but it would also be a a difficult consideration Earth looks pretty good right now. Earth looks really good. I'm really, really happy with with the life that I've built. What an experience both of you had. Uh, I'm really glad to talk to you about it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Matt. It was enjoyable. Thanks for having us. Shana Gifford and Laura Lark were participants in a simulated mission, two different ones, but they were both simulated, meant to simulate life on Mars. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.